Blessings to all of you on this uh, humid Sunday in the city. First, uh, first one in May. You know, we're, we're still sitting in the afterglow of, of Easter, really, and that's been this uh, series on choices around the cross have been connected to what we shared around Easter when we sort of uh, built our presentation around the story, the account of the, the thief on the cross, and we sort of took our, some liberty with it, artistically speaking, and created some themes around that. But really, it was about being able to talk about Jesus and the, and the cross and the resurrection. And so this particular series where we've been in now, this is going to be our third week of the four weeks that we're, we're going to sit with it, really is going to also focus on this uh, very, uh, um, really unusually uh, compelling figure who was crucified next to Jesus, um, who we are given insight to in one of the most amazing developments that happened around the cross. And we're going to use that as an avenue for exploring choice and what it means to follow the Lord and to move with him. And so I'm just going to ask God's blessing over our time together and what we have left together to share. And Lord, I want to just ask for your blessing um, and your grace because we really need it, Lord. And um, many of us, Lord, you know, we, we have stuff that we, we are dealing with and there are issues that are going on, Lord, that are sometimes just really tough, Lord. And you know what those things are. And, and for those of us who are uh, just going along and, and things are going great, we, we are so grateful, Lord. But a lot of us, it's, there, are some, there are issues and, and we are open to your voice, Lord. We really are. We want to, as best as we can, just say, Lord, come and be among us. And uh, we pray for you, Lord, to speak to us, to fill us with grace. My prayer, Lord, would be that we would not leave this place in the same frame of mind that we came in, Lord, but that we would leave more motivated, uh, more impassioned to want to honor you in our lives. And there would be something of a real movement that would occur in the waters of our soul. And so I just pray for your blessing over our time together. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, God. All right. Um, we're going to just jump right in here with where we've been. Let me just, again, remind everybody where we have been because we started out this, this whole movement talking about the choice that Jesus made to suffer for us. And we spent a lot of time looking at the cross itself and, and just the amazing way in which the Lord chose to walk into the, the whole experience of Calvary, as it's often called, what it meant to suffer for us, what it meant for him to be uh, so um, beaten down and humiliated and scorned and rejected and abandoned. We talked about the love of God that, that Jesus um, gave himself for us so that we might live. And he became the lamb, the sacrifice to cover our sin and give us life from his death so that we might be made whole in his brokenness. We talked about the choice he made. He didn't have to do it. He chose to do it. We also talked about the choice that wasn't really a choice at all. Talked about that man named Simon, Simon the Cyrene, as he's often called, the man who was just in the crowd, who got called out by the Romans to help carry the cross of Jesus because Jesus was weakened and he was faltering under the weight of the cross and he couldn't do it physically on his own. And so they compelled a man out of the crowd, Simon. They said, you come out here and you carry it. And we talked about how that most likely was not on Simon's, uh, you know, agenda. It was an awful disruption for him to just be a bystander, an onlooker on a once-in-a-lifetime trip to Jerusalem, then to be compelled to be part of an, an execution 
Uh, you know, we talked about how there are choices in life that even though they're choice, there's really not much of a choice at all. And there are things that we're having to carry that if we had our way, we wouldn't carry them. It's like they got thrown at us and we're having to deal with it. And we talked about how even in those places where we have to deal with very difficult things, things that we wouldn't want, how really if we, if we can be open to what God wants to do, even in that bad place, that there's an, actually an opportunity for God to do amazing things in our lives. He can teach us things. We talked about how Simon's life was affected um, by his interaction with Jesus. So in that awful moment, something good came from an amazing good. And God can do that in our lives too. And a lot of it has to do with our attitudes. And we talked about choice and the power of choosing how we want to position ourselves. Then last week, we looked at the choice that Jesus made when he was on the cross. And we talked about the first thing that came out of his mouth. We talked about the prayer of forgiveness. We explored the idea that there will be time, how high he set that bar and how there will be times in our lives where we will be called to be radically forgiving. Where the, it's the last thing we really wanted to do, but we sense God calling us to be radically forgiving. And then we made the case that we need to choose also to walk the path of Jesus and to live the forgiving life, period. Just to be a person who chooses not to walk around offended and angry and bitter. How that, you know, if we want to be offended, we always have reasons to be. We always have justification for being angry. It doesn't mean we're closing our eyes to things, but it means it's it's sort of the whole idea is that when we walk with the Lord, we're choosing to live in his, we're choosing to live lightly. We want to let forgiveness be the accent on our life so we don't hold on to things and get defined by the the wounds of life and get get to a point where we kind of, you know, carry around this kind of oppressiveness. I mean, it's not uncommon. You know, in my life, I've, I've met people who were so angry and you could feel the anger in the room. And I just say this, God doesn't want us to live that way. He wants, he wants us to learn how to live in his forgiveness and how to be a forgiving people who let things go and move forward with life. So we talked about that choices. And, I, and, and again, I know there's complex aspects to everything, but as a whole, God calls us to live this way. Now we are going to look at a choice that was made by a man who we often call the, the penitent thief, the repentant thief, um, an amazing thing that occurred on the cross next to Jesus. I want to look at his choice. I want to talk about how that might speak to us. So let's look, if we can, in Matthew 27. We'll quickly move through this passage of Scripture. Uh, It says, Then they crucified him and divided his garments, that is, Jesus, and they cast lots. We talked about how they played dice for those clothes, and then this Matthew says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast the dice, the lots. And then sitting down they, that would be the soldiers, kept watch over him there. Verse 37, Matthew 27 and they put up over his head the accusation that was written against him, essentially what his crime was. And it was meant to be a mockery, a mockery and a der- something derisive that was designed to sort of um, anger the ones who had called for his death. Uh, they said, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. And it was in Greek, Latin, Hebrew, hammered up there. And then we're told in verse 38 that then two robbers were crucified with him. One on the right, the other was on the left. We don't know which which. One was where? We don't even know their names. We know nothing about them. What we most likely uh, can ascertain from this is that the center cross was not really meant for Jesus originally. It was meant for Barabbas, who was most likely uh, the one who had been caught together with these other two thieves. But remember, Barabbas had been released when the mob had had cried, you know, free Barabbas, 
you know, crucify Jesus, crucify him, crucify him. And so Jesus was placed in that role. And it's quite likely that these two armed bandits, these thieves, um, had been cohorts of Barabbas. But the bottom line is now they were dying on the crosses next to Jesus. And it says here that um, those who passed by Jesus in this moment, and I'm going to try to describe the environment in a bit, but they, they passed by, they started blaspheming, and they, they reviled him, they cursed Jesus, they, in using language that we wouldn't use today in terms of the, the sort of uh, curious phrase, wagging their heads, the idea is here is that they were shaking their heads, you're nothing, you're nobody, we knew you were a fraud, you said you were the king of the Jews, you said you could, dest- you would, you could destroy the temple and rise, raise it up, you're nothing, we knew it, you said you were the king, and then we're told here, it says, they said, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, why don't you save yourself now? Here were the cries coming out, if you are the son of God, then come down from the cross, this is what they were saying. And likewise, it says the chief priests also, verse 41, also mocking with the scribes and the elders said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. He, if he is the king of Israel, then let him now come down from the cross. You said you were a king. You said you had the power. Show us your power. You said you were the son of God. Well, where is your God? In fact, he says, it says, he said he trusted in God. Well, if he did indeed, then let that God that he trusted in, let the God of our Father, let him deliver him now, because he said he was the Son of God. And they reviled him, and they cursed him, and they mocked him. And then we're told at the end of that passage that some, a couple of other people joined in. And those two were told here, not one, both robbers, both of the thieves on the side of Jesus, joined in with the rest of the group and started to rail against him and curse him. And mock him and say, yeah, come on, you say you're a king. Yeah, show us you who you are. And this was happening there. And again, you get the impression that when you look at this, that this man who would, the thief who would later be known for his prayer, um, that he had probably did what he had always done. And that is he just joined in. I mean, it's clear that he was a criminal. It's clear that he was a robber, a bandit whose time has come. How long he had been at it, we don't know. Um, We don't even know which side of the cross he hung on, of Jesus' cross. What we do know is that he had a story like everybody else, but we really don't know anything about it except that it had a very awful ending. I mean, he had chosen a path that had brought him to this place where it was a shame. It was a shame to be crucified on a cross in such an ignominious fashion as he was being splayed out there in front of everybody, basically naked, dying a death on Skull Hill, as it was called, Golgotha, um, part of the refuse of society, society's garbage dump. And that was his end. And maybe he had always joined in with the group. Maybe he got caught up with the wrong people. Maybe he had an aversion to hard work. Maybe he liked easy money. Maybe he just didn't know how to say no. We don't know. One of the things that's pretty clear, though, is that when everybody was railing against Jesus, he decided to join in with them. And he was reviling the, Jesus the same way. And he was in this particular, I mean, after all, I mean, it, I mean it, as they were yelling at Jesus and, and saying these things, it's amazing because he didn't say anything. It, it was like uh, there, was, there was this kind of strange silence to the man in the middle who was splayed out there with the rest of them. And why was everybody so angry with him? And when the man they ridiculed as the Messiah the king of the Jews, when he finally, the son of God finally spoke, it was such a jolting 
almost eerie, un, 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 you know, you could not have seen it coming. It was so far out of what one would have envisioned being uh, said that when he heard it, he must have been affected like everybody else. Because in the midst of the melee, in the midst, and, the, and in Luke's account, we're told that the Romans were joining in as well. So you have this whole picture. You can see it. They're like, it's just like, there's, it's crazy. that You've got people yelling at him, spitting on him, saying, you said you were something that we know you are not. You called yourself the king of, the, the king of Israel. You're not. We knew you were a fraud from the beginning. If you are who you say you are, get down off the cross. And then the, the thieves are joining in with them. Yeah, you're nothing. You're, you say, and then, then you've got the Romans saying, come on, have a little bit of, it's just this whole picture of, of just chaos and frenzy. And in the middle of that, Jesus, when he finally speaks, it's a prayer. And whether he prayed it because everything died down or he prayed it over them, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And you can hear, you can, if you're the thief next to him, you're going, what are you talking about? Father, who's your father? And forgive them. Why? What do you mean they know not what they do? They know exactly what they're doing. They're murdering you. What kind of crazy talk is that? But it must have hit him. It must have hit him hard. Because we're told, when we jump down to Luke's account here, it's interesting because some time passes. And I'm going to suggest that he was listening to all the things that were being said. And then he listened to Jesus. And then when his friend decides to jump back in and have some more fun with the Lord and, and is, is trying to provoke him, look what he says here. It says, then, verse 39 of Luke 23, just jump down there. It says, then one of the criminals who were hanged decided to blaspheme him again, saying, if you are the Christ, why don't you just save yourself and save us too? What's wrong with you, Dave? This is who you are. Save yourself, save us. And then in that moment, we're told something remarkable occurs. Something completely unanticipated that must have caught everybody off guard because in this moment, it says here that then the other one answering him spoke up and he rebuked him and he said, do you not even fear God? You and I, we are getting what we deserve. We're under the same judgment as this man and we indeed are getting what we deserve, this condemnation justly. And you know it, for we receive the due reward of what we have done, but this man, he has done nothing wrong why would you say such a thing? Why don't you be quiet? He speaks up for Jesus. The first person that we can tell in the entire crowd that does it. And then, in a moment, sublime and in his own way, holy, he turned and said words that must have made the breaking heart of Jesus Leap with joy because he said this to him. And it's almost like he says, I don't know everything that's going on here. And I hear the accusations and I've heard your prayers. But I want to say something to you. Lord, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's what I pray. And he must have looked right in in his eyes. And I, I, it, I'm telling you, it, it was something that, if you look at it, it's astonishing because it comes out of nowhere. I mean, it's almost like he's giving a confession, a request, and an expectation, that little prayer. What is the confession? Lord, 
Lord, what is, what is the request? Remember me. I'm about to be forgotten, but I ask you to remember me when. When you come, what's the expectation? When you come into your kingdom, this kingdom they've all been saying that you claim to have, and they've been saying it in one way, but I, I believe. Remember me. That, that expectation of the kingdom, where did he get that word? He didn't know who Jesus was. He got it. You got to remember, there was nobody, none of Jesus' followers. There was nobody. We're looking backwards at the cross, and we go, wow, the cross. Yeah, that's why Jesus died. He died for us. But there was not one disciple out there saying, behold, there's the reason he's dying. Behold, the Lamb of God, everybody who's taking away the sin of the world, he's dying for us. There was nobody who said that, not one person. In fact, all his disciples who he had trained for three years, they were gone. They were scattered. They had run for their life. Only John had made his way back very carefully from a distance. Some of the women were there as well, closer in, weeping and wailing, crying, shocked, devastated by the sight, unbelievable, shaken. It was a stunning development. Even though Jesus had told them no one believed it, and now it was all dying. And yet out of nowhere, out of nowhere comes a confession from a man, one of the most unlikely candidates of all, a thief. <laughs> and he says something, a confession, that the most ardent of Jesus' followers would have been unable to make at this time. He says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom, I believe. Powerful, powerful. I mean, mention, I mean, let me just point something out about this prayer. I'll just do it quickly. We'll just kind of note it. Look at this prayer and then kind of make an application to how we can think about approaching God. I'm going to say something about this prayer. His prayer was, was, was humble. And you think about, about it, there was a lot of people saying, do something. Show me your kingdom. Show me your power. Show me what, see, the, but there were a lot of people making demands on him and he wouldn't respond. But a request made in humility by a nobody, moved him. God, the Bible says, resists the proud and the arrogant of spirit. But, you think about resist, but he is moved by humility of spirit. It's not the proud words that move God. It's not the demand. We don't demand God to show up. But when we appeal out of sincere, honest word, if we can be real and honest with the Lord, even with our doubts and our fear, even if we can just be a little bit honest, we will find that God will open up heaven to us. And he will not be far. He will be near. He didn't say a word. He said not a word. Every accuser, every challenge, everybody who was saying, you prove yourself now, we'll believe on you. He said nothing. All he did was pray for him. But the thief, the other thief who was telling him what he had to do, he said nothing. But to this man who appealed to him and said, Lord, remember me, to that, boom, the key, unlock the door, opens up his heart. He speaks to him. He's there. And it's a reminder to us about what the power of humility before the Lord God is most interested in an honest, humble word and coming low, coming honest, coming real with our, with our, whatever we have. And he didn't have much. He had nothing to give. No more life. All he had to give was a confession, but he gave what he could give. It was humble. It was, it was daring. It was daring. You say, why? 
because it, you gotta remember, maybe this guy all his life had always walked, he had always gone with the pack. He had always taken the easy way. It seems like he had joined in before, just like he had always done before with the peer pressure, move with it. Yeah, why not? I'll, why not? But this took some daring. It, he had to, why? Because he had to say it. He had to say it out loud. He had to, he had to line up. He had to say, remember me, remember me. He had to, he, and his friends probably saying to him, you fool! What are you, crazy? What are you doing? Oh, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. It was a daring, I don't care who hears me now. See, and then on top of it, Jesus, he had already, he, he risked being rejected by Jesus, didn't he? I mean, he had already been, he had joined in earlier. What, make, what would make him think that all of a sudden Jesus would be okay with him now? Oh, yeah, now. But you see, he had heard him. He had heard him pray. I think there was something about the prayer that, that stirred him deeply. Somewhere in there, a seed opened up on a dying man on a cross. And the Lord often talks about faith and life, and that's the third piece here, because the prayer was faith-filled. And oftentimes, Faith awakens in a person. It's like a, Jesus said, it's like a, he often talked about it like a mustard seed in the soul. A little thing that when it sprouts underneath the ground, it begins to grow. Where did it come from? When did it happen? When did the Holy Spirit move? How did it occur? What stirred the waters? What happened? All of a sudden, there's like the grip of the Holy Spirit. Something grips him and he believes and he, 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 something comes alive in him. And that's the only way I know how to truly describe what it means to really engage God relationally. It's like that seed under the, it just sprouts open. All of a sudden, it's like that germinating seed bursting open. And all of a sudden, we, we believe. We believe. It opens up to us. God is real. It, it, we, I, I know he's, it's just all of a sudden life flow. It's one of those moments, and how do you explain it? It was faith-filled. It was, the Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So it says in Hebrews eleven six, you know, it talks about the value of, of prayer and faith and saying, Lord, I believe. Help my, one of my favorite prayers, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I'm open. Faith filled. And then fourthly, it was future focused, wasn't it? I mean, it had to do with when you come into your kingdom. <laughs> what was that? What kind of king? And he doesn't look like a king. He's dying on a cross. He's nobody. When you come, O king, into your kingdom, take me with you. Take me. Take me when you cross the divide. I don't know. I don't understand. I don't get it all. But I believe. Take me with Remember me. Don't leave me behind. Man, it was desperate. It's powerful. It's, it's, it's amazing to me. And he stepped out, and he looked into the future, and he said, take me with you. God, Lord, take me with you. Powerful stuff. Really, and you know what? What did Jesus say? Jesus did to all the others who accused. He said they got no, they got nothing. He said nothing. But he said this, and it's the second thing that Jesus recorded saying on the cross. He turned to him, and you can see it. I say to you truly. That's when we say assuredly. I say to you truly. I say to you truly, more true than you'll ever know. I say to you truly, this day, not tomorrow, not a thousand years from now, this day, I tell you, you will be, you will be with me in paradise. You will come into heaven with me. I tell you this, my friend. I tell you it. Truly, I say this to you. And what does this remind, remind us of? 
I mean, heaven awaits you. I'll tell you what I, I got. When I was thinking about it, I was thinking, okay, Lord. I want to suggest firstly that, because this is how I want us to apply it in the brief time we have together left. I want to say this, that one of the things this reminds us of is the power, really, truly, of not allowing our fear and our sense of unworthiness or maybe our feeling like we've already squandered so much, so why bother now to keep us from God's blessing, to keep us from the daring ask, from, to keep us from risking to move forward with God. I mean, there, a lot of times pe- people, we're, we are hindered by our fears, our fear of failure, um, fear of not being able to do it, fear that I, I've already made a mess of things, so why bother now? I mean, all the, I'm looking at this man, and I'm saying, you know, he had nothing left. He blew it all, and yet he is daring, and he's risking, and he's praying, and he's saying, Lord, Lord, I, and you know, there are times where you and I are going to be challenged. Listen, to, to not allow our, our experiences to define us, to keep us away from moving forward with the Lord. I mean, God has things for us. Let's not allow our fear of unworthiness. I mean, I talk to people periodically, and I'll say to them, you know, why don't you, why don't you just, you know, why don't you come, just come back to church? Why don't you, you know, I missed you. I haven't seen you for a while. I'll say, you know, I, I, I want to, uh, um, you, know, I, you know, I just got to get some things together first. And, and then I'll, I'll, I'll come. And it's almost like I'm not good enough to come to church yet because I know. And I say, well, it's not about getting yourself good enough and then coming. Why don't we just come and let the good start to flow. It's not about getting myself prepared to be good enough so he can get near to me. You know what? You know, I look at the parable of the prodigal son, and the father runs out there, and his son's in rags, and he's a mess, and he's been rebellious, and he's been stubborn, and he's been proud, and he was arrogant, and you know what? But he's coming home. And when he comes home in his rags, emaciated and broken, you know what happens? Jesus says the father runs out to him. And he doesn't just do that. He hugs him and he kisses him and he tells him, my son is home and he loves him. It's not about getting ourselves, if that's the issue, we're not going to ever be good enough. It's not like, here, Lord, are my credentials. Now I am ready. Now there is some truth that God has things that he'll want to address in our life. But I'm going to tell you something. We, can't, we, can, we are not to allow, and I say it's about, we should not allow our fears of being, of failing, of being rejected, of being unworthy, to keep us from coming to Jesus. There's one thing. The Lord wants us to come. He will work with us. He will strengthen us. He, where is that power to break through going to come from anyway? It's going to come from God. Not on our own. God. Secondly, this reminds us that the time to begin is now to start in the right direction, right? This whole idea of remembering that it's never too late to start in the right direction. I mean, think about it. Thief on the cross, it's like, you got nothing, it's too late, you blew it already. But even he started in that moment. Now, the old, the old Puritan writers used to say, you know, the Bible gives us an example of someone who's on his deathbed, basically, on the cross. Gives us one example of that in all the scripture. So that we need never despair or lose hope. But they said, but only one, so that we may not presume. And there is some truth there that a lot of times that, that you know, it's true. At the, but you know what it does remind us? It's never too late. And listen, it's never too late. The time to start is now. A lot of times, listen, well, I can't change. Look what's happened. This is just, oh, it's too late. I've made a mess of it. I say, you know what? It's not too late. Today. Today. Now. New beginning. Right direction. 
today. Uh, You know what a lot of us, we don't know how much life we have left, and this will be my last thing I'll say about it. The time is now to follow Jesus. This is the time. Listen to me. Not tomorrow. Not 10 years from now. Not when I'm on my deathbed, I'll, I'll remember him. That's dangerous ground. But it's also missing so much of the adventure. Because serving Jesus is a delight and a privilege. And we have been given this gift, and we don't know how long it's going to be given to us called life on this side of eternity. And most of us aren't there saying, I don't have a tomorrow. We don't know how many tomorrows we do have. Yesterday, in fact, this whole week I've been thinking about it, but yesterday I celebrated my birthday. 46 years young, all right? (laughs) (laughs) But but I was crying. Actually, no, I'm kidding. Um, I was kidding. I was kidding. But the fact of the matter is, I reminded myself, because I've been thinking about all these themes. I've been thinking about the man on the cross. I've been thinking about Jesus. I've been thinking about what it means to live for God. I've been thinking about my own life and um, how we've been given a gift called life and how many years we have left, and I don't even know that. I don't know what's around the bend. I can't see anything. I have limited vision. God sees everything. We know nothing. We know this. We've been given this gift. What are we going to do with it? Some of us who are younger, some of the younger ones here, um, I want to just say, Don't waste your years. The time to serve God is now. The time to draw near to God is now. The time to fill yourself with ourselves with his wisdom is now. This is the time to make decisions that are going to be a blessing. The years ahead, which we don't know how many we have, we presume them. But but this is a time to not make mistakes that will cost us decades. Don't do that. Listen for the voice of the Lord. Who will go out for us? Lord, send me. There's something about it. Some of us are in the middle of our years. We're thinking about things. This is the time to be very focused. Very focused. Don't squander time. We need to remind us from front of the rest of myself, Lord, help me to live, to live closer to you. Help me to be a better architect of my life. I can't control things, but I can be open to what you want to do inside of my soul, in my heart. Lord, free me. Keep me close to your word. Keep me growing. Keep me in a growing place. Keep me open, Lord, to the things you want to say and do in my life. Help me to be a person who is being shaped and molded by your hand, by your word. Help us, God. Help. You know, it's a, it's a time to think about our friendships and the kind of quality relationships we're cultivating. It's time to think about what it means to have people coming alongside and saying, I want to run with you. Let's do this together. It's, it's a time about thinking about how we are investing ourselves. Are we open to the new things God wants to do? Many, what is he trying to say? You know, when you get, when you get older, you don't have, you got you to you be smarter. Your margins, our margins are different. I'm not saying we want to make mistakes, but mistakes, you re- we realize, I don't get too many redos here. Focus me, Lord, like an arrow. And let me be shot through time by you, Lord. Help me be the difference maker. Help me to live in a way that brings you honor by your grace. Help me to increasingly be a life bringer, not a death dealer. Help me to be a part of representing your heart to people 
in this world of ours that we live in, in the circles of relationships that we've been given and entrusted with, Lord, how can I be a life giver? How can I be more like you? What am I doing with my time? How am I really owning it and honoring you with it? Help keep me from those things that just squander it away. I get no return, and I bring no return with it. Lord, speak to me. And for those of us who are older, you know, I was thinking about it. Some of who are advanced years, the temptation will say, well, I've got nothing left. You know, my best years are gone. But I've always reminded myself, I was found myself thinking now, because, you know, I found myself thinking about the person that most influenced me for the Lord. And I reminded myself that that person did it. It was my grandfather. And when he was in his late 60s, really in his 70s, and I was just a teenager, that he taught, he showed me, he made a difference, he loved God, he showed me how to pray, he modeled what it meant to serve him. It made such a difference in my life for God. And whatever blessing I can have a part in bringing on behalf of the Lord and in his name, his beautiful name, is connected to somebody else who showed the way in their advanced years and laid seeds that are harvesting now in multiple directions because Jesus said it's like being a sower scattering a seed and who knows where it goes and the life that it deposits. Who can say? Who can say the difference God wants to make with our lives? I keep saying it. I'm going to keep saying it. I'm going to keep reminding myself. I want to remind all of us here. Don't underestimate the potential impact that you will have for the goodness of the Lord in your generation. We do not know the span of our days, but we know that it has an end point. Now is the time to honor Jesus. We have this life of ours to respond to God with. Lay up for ourselves that which will not be taken away. Trust that the Lord can use us, our words, our life, our actions. Give us ears to hear, Lord. Lord, I just want to, I want to ask you, Lord, to just be with us as we think about these things and we've been pondering what it means to make a choice to want to honor you. And I think about this prayer that was made by this man, Lord, at the end of his life, Lord, and, and he made it and it was bold and it was daring. And Lord, I pray that you would also, Lord, challenge each one of us to take personal inventory about our own lives. We cannot change what has been. We must not allow ourselves to be defined by certain things that will hold us back. By your grace, Lord Jesus, living God, the God of new beginning, I pray, Lord, that you will continue to work in our lives, continue to challenge us, Lord, to be open to your words, continue to challenge us, Lord, to think about how we're living, to consider what we are building, Lord, to be open to the transformation you want to keep working in our hearts, in our personalities, the seed that we are to be planting wherever we go, the life that we are to be touching, Lord, in small ways, in simple ways, but the difference we are making for you. I really ask you, Lord, to help us. I pray that as we close this service out, that the song that is many ways just like the, the thief's prayer, Lord, on the cross. Lord, I want to be open. I want to be open. I want you to be able to do something. And I just pray, Lord, that whatever else it is, that your word be alive in us, I pray. So I pray for our closing minutes. I pray for our time of giving. I pray for this song. I pray for what we've shared, that you be honored in it. May we not be in a rush, Lord, but have a listening ear. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen, God. Amen.